I'm like, oh, seventy dollars a person. I say, okay, and where, you know, can we have the ceremony? Or you know, I said right. something about the ceremony, and the guy says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, <laughs> this is a wedding. And I say, yes. He's like, oh, well, that is $140 a person. Hi, and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a show about the global economy. It's Thursday, September 1st, and I'm Kate Smith, an editor for Bloomberg News here in New York. Dan and Scott couldn't join us this week, so instead I'm joined by a guest host, Brian Chapata, a government bonds reporter here in New York as well. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kate. So Brian is uh, has been very busy for the past couple of weeks because he is planning a wedding for yeah. a few Saturdays from now, right? In addition to the crazy times in treasuries and <laughs> watching the Fed, yes, uh, planning our wedding for about three and a half weeks from now. And how long have you been planning that wedding for? Uh, a little over a year. And are you excited to see the planning come to an end? I'm psyched. It's all coming together. It's going <laughs> to be great. And also, of course, excited to be married. Yes. <laughs> of course. Well, Brian is actually the perfect co-host for this week's episode because all we're talking about are weddings. I spoke to David Wood. He's the president of the Association of Bridal Consultants. And according to him, sorry, Brian, you're not that unique. Almost two and a half million couples get married every single year in the United States. And the average cost of those weddings is a little shy of $30,000. And so he estimates that it's actually an $80 billion industry. And that's that's just huge. But Brian, I'm sure after a year plus of planning your own wedding, you're well aware of how expensive these celebrations are. This is no news to you. Uh, Yes, I am acutely aware (laughs) of that. Um, uh, A lot of the reasons why weddings are so expensive, though, uh, can sort of really be explained by some of the economic theory that I and I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this podcast learned in their freshman year economics classes. You have a range of textbook terms, price discrimination, supply demand, elasticity of demand, price insensitivity, all this stuff. And before you go any further, um, you know, for some of those listeners who may be a year or 10 outside of their college econ classes, we have a really special guest to help us figure this all out. Austin Goolsby is here with us. He's a former White House economic advisor to President Obama. And since 2013, he's been a strategic partner at 32 Advisors, leading their economic intelligence practice. He's talking to us from Chicago, where he's also an economics professor at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. Austin, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. And so in addition to all of Austin's very impressive accolades, he is also a happily married man. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) So he was married in 1997. And I read a little bit about this, but tell us kind of how you learned firsthand some price discrimination and econ things that work when you were planning your own wedding. Well, as anybody who's gotten married knows, planning your wedding is a nightmare, and it's only gotten, you know, I've been married a long time. It was a nightmare then. It's only a bigger nightmare now. And uh, so we were, you know, we were a little older, um, so we both had, my wife and I both had jobs, so we were kind of doing it on our on our own here. We, we had moved to Chicago. My wife's from New Jersey, so we were having the wedding here, and you know, there's a hundred things you got to figure out and the chairs and the do you want the cups to be taller and shorter and what and this, just a thousand decisions. We finally find the place and it's a place, the Chicago Cultural Center's downtown. It used to be the public library. It's a really nice, uh, it's a really nice big room and it's got a dome in it and a tile and this, but it's run by the city so it's not it's not integrated. It doesn't come with food or whatever. You have to 
arranged to, to have somebody come in and bring the food and bring the chairs and bring the table. So I'm talking to the food people, and I say, uh, you know, there's going to be, whatever, 125 people there, and we're going to have these tables, we're going to have a band, and they're like, yes, yes. And so we come to the end, and I said, uh, I said, well, how much is that going to be? And I can't remember what the orders of magnitude are, but let's say they said, yeah, but that'll be $70 a person. And I'm like, oh, $70 a person. I say, okay, and where, you know, can we have the ceremony? Or You know, I said right. something about the ceremony, and the guy says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> this is a wedding? And I said, yes. He's like, oh, that is $140 a person. I was like, what? Why? Wow. But it's the same. We're in the same place. And, he, and, and it, that, the caterer said, and, and I love it that, it that he said it that way. He was like, well, people are willing to pay a lot more if it's a wedding. And he, was just, he wasn't even making, he wasn't even pretending that there was some other thing. Like, oh, it's more costly. We have to make the food better. He basically just said uh, exactly what Brian said. People's willingness to pay is higher. They don't want it to be messed up. You know, whatever. Uh, we're going to, we can get away with charging more if it's a wedding. Wow, Austin, that sounds like a really clear textbook case of price discrimination. Totally. I was teaching micro at the time, and so I'm teaching price discrimination. <laughs> Wait, you were teaching microeconomics at the time that you had to deal with price discrimination? Yes, and in fact, the, uh, I, was, I had to teach on the weekend, and I had to teach the morning of my wedding. And there's this photo of me standing there in a tuxedo teaching class. I finish the class, I go down, and I, and I get married. And the day of that class was the Monopoly markup formula for anybody who's, who's into micro, which is basically the center of all price discrimination. It says, here's the formula you use. Once you know how sensitive the customer is, here's how you jack up the price on them. Which is virtually exactly what happened to you. Yep. <laughs> that's just incredible. I mean, and I think that's what kind of Brian and I, what we were so attracted to about this show is because so many things that happen in weddings can be explained by these I mean, Econ 101 theories and principles like price discrimination and like what you're talking about. But I think what's really interesting and Brian, like kind of talk, I mean, it's not that way in all markets. It's I mean, weddings are unique. Right. I think there's definitely an information gap between the buyers and sellers of various, uh, you know, wedding needs. Um, you got like flowers, for example. I mean, the people who are selling you flowers certainly know the prices and certainly know how available the supply of flowers is. And you as a seller, you're coming in and you're buying, you know, thousands of dollars worth of flowers for the first time to populate your venue. And you just don't know how much each costs. And you can't go item by item and comparison shop in any sort of timely manner. In Austin, help us out here. Help us bridge the gap. So, Typically, post-internet, we've been dealing with mostly transparent markets. I'm thinking of like the airlines. So now you have Kayak, you have Orbitz. I mean, and even for, you know, market markets. So, I mean, fixed income, our own company, Bloomberg, pretty much created the transparency to that market. But it's not the same way in weddings. Can you kind of help us frame how important transparency is for efficient markets? Well, I guess I would walk it through in a couple of ways. With any price discrimination, what information you have about the customers and their willingness to pay is one huge element. And the second is you have to have the ability to prevent people from 
arbitraging or reselling the thing somewhere else. So if I can go buy a million uh, tickets to the movies at the student discounted price and then just turn around and resell them to non-students, you, you won't be able to get away with price discrimination. I think part of what happens um, with transparency online is you've got multiple sellers. Once you get in a transparent market, everybody's trying to undercut each other to steal the business. If you live, so my parents live in Abilene, Texas. They're retired there. There's only one carrier that flies to Abilene, Texas. It's American Airlines. So you can have kayak, you can have orbits, you can have whatever you want. The fact is, when you're flying to Abilene, you're going to pay because American Airlines, they can be transparent, but they can charge you a lot because they know if you're flying to Abilene, you're not really going to have that many substitutes. The substitute is get off in Dallas and go rent a car and drive for four hours to get to my parents. That happens with weddings. Okay, so Brian's right. They know more about the flowers. They know more about what's rare. They've got a package deal of a whole bunch of things and you can't find one. You can't separate out how much are the ballroom chairs versus the folding chairs versus the whatever. I mean, I guess you can, but there's just a hundred things that you would pay money to just not have to decide. And then you get the third, which is whether it's because of the scale, whether it's because there's only a limited number of vendors who want to deal with the pressure of a wedding, but it's hard to get a lot of competition. It's hard to induce an auction for wedding photographers. There is no kayak available of, I'm going to go on here and figure out if somebody will, somebody will bring in the alcohol separate from the food at a lower price. They just largely don't do that. And I think the bigger question is, why isn't there more entry into what seems like very profitable <laughs> economics of these wedding businesses. How, how are they not, how are people not falling over themselves trying to drive the prices down to more competitive levels? And I don't really know the answer to that. Well, maybe I can help you out because I, I was speaking to the president of kind of the, the trade, the leading trade organization for wedding vendors, David Wood, and he was telling me that a lot of the reason why that happens is because the market is so fragmented and is so decidedly local. So, for example, for flowers, you're probably go going to be going with a local florist because you can't ship in flowers from somewhere else, right? Locality is very important. And same with venues, right? Like, they're, by their very nature, they can only be in one certain place. So he was saying that because, because of the kind of fragmented and highly local nature of the market, it's hard to kind of even though it is ripe for disruption, and I am so sorry I just used that word, but even though it is, it hasn't been able to happen because of that. But I think the other thing, I mean, Brian, I mean, tell me about Emily's preferences. How, I mean, how strong have her preferences been? Because that's the other aspect. Like, if you want something, you want something, and you don't care how much it costs. So, Brian, kind of, how, what's your experience been with that? It's not just her preferences. It's <laughs> my preferences, too. It's your um, both day, not just her day. Well, Sorry. I, well I think it's really interesting. That's what Austin uh, brings up about sort of the be able to resell movie tickets or whether it's a kayak for wedding photographers. It's just It just does not seem feasible because it's so intensely 
personal. Um, it, you can't just go online and figure out how, how comfortable you are in front of your photographer or your videographer. You want to meet with them. You want to speak with them. You want to hear their experiences, and you want to feel like if they reflect what you want to get out of the, the day. So I think it's really tough. And I'm, and I'm just wondering, you know, maybe, Austin, you can talk a little bit about how, how strong preferences and having, having that on, on the buy side um, affects uh, you know, price ins- insensitivity and how they're able to mark up prices uh, from a vendor point of view. I, I think it does matter. And sort of the uh, one way to think of it is there are some products like, like sushi, like brain surgery and others, which just the fact that somebody comes in and says, well, I'll give you the same thing for half price does not <laughs> induce a whole bunch of demand to switch to them. You know, half-price sushi, half-price brain surgery. (laughs) You're thinking like, whoa, wait a minute, the quality makes a big difference. And I do think some element of that, that, that's correlated with what how strong are people's preferences. And that has a strong bearing in weddings. Because if you, if you, I don't know, I don't know your wife, you know, but if you go to say, hey, honey, great, great news. I've got a florist who says that they're willing to do everything you said you wanted in flowers, but for one-third the price. And they're going to bring the flowers over here from West Virginia. You know, we're going we're gonna to bring it in from a market that's a lot cheaper. There are going to be people who say, who say in your family, this may be remembered as the Brian incident, and you may <laughs> hear about that for the next 40 years. That that's a great point. Actually, and, and it's I think it's interesting you bring up the medical thing too. And like you know, half off isn't always great. I mean that's I mean that's a huge thing. There's a lot. I mean there's an economic principle, and it's just, the name's escaping me right now. But the idea is, the more something costs, the more you want it. What is that? Superior again? versus inferior goods. Well, yeah. it sounds like signaling. You know, we we've yeah, got a thing go. of of any any time when there's not just uniform products. Right. Let's let's call it that way. They're not just homogenous. There are quality, la- there's, there's both what the economists call horizontal differentiation of slightly, all the goods are slightly different from each other, but also vertical. Some of them are just better than others. And we could all agree, let's say, that, you know, the, the burritos at Chipotle are better than at Taco Bell, that are better than at Del Taco, you know, whatever. If you have some ordering of quality, um, and people have a taste for quality, then it's going to make the normal rules of the market. It's not that they don't apply. It's just that they get more complicated. And you can have situations where in an intensely local market where there's a high taste for quality and hopefully you're only doing this once and it's a big budget thing that you just want to make sure that like in the old days, they used to say, nobody ever got fired for buying an IBM. You know, yes, it costs more to go with the well-known caterer, but you know it's not going to be screwed up and that your mother-in-law is not going to hold against you. You know, he saved us $500 and he got us a thing that went horribly wrong. Right, at a certain point, it's just not even worth it, which, I mean, I think, you know, throwing out some more, you know, econ buzzwords here. I mean, that's a lot of demand elasticity, too. I mean, I'm thinking like the Plaza Hotel. 
doesn't matter how much the Plaza Hotel costs. There's always going to be someone who's going willing to pay the venue price to have their wedding at the Plaza Hotel in New York. It doesn't really matter. Like the, I mean, the amount that they, I mean, this is just the principle of elasticity, right? The amount that they raise that venue price by is going to have a very different effect of how many people are become unwilling to buy it, right? That is true, though. There's an there's a somewhat non-intuitive result that comes out of the theory which says anybody who has market power should already know that and they should have already raised the prices up so high that actually their customers are price sensitive because if they weren't if if the plaza hotels customers were as price insensitive as you're describing then they already should have raised the price even more and just keep on raising it until even the shake of whatever it says, my God, the plaza costs that much. <laughs> I'm not going to pay one cent more. Uh, right. So I think the basic question of what is a, what makes a good more price sensitive, have a higher demand elasticity, is kind of the same thing as, well, what are the substitutes? And... To the extent that a flower supplier from some other market that's far away is not a substitute, then that's going to tend to make the buyers less price sensitive. To the extent that there are big quality differences, that the Plaza Hotel is something higher class than the Best Western, that's going to make the that's going to make the elasticities different and. The essence of price discrimination, if you just say from the back to the to the brass tax economic theory, is you got to be able to figure out who's more or less price sensitive, and you got to be able to prevent them from. You got to know who who is more price sensitive. You got to be able to identify and charge them, and you got to be able to prevent them from reselling to others. And in most of those cases, the normal problems that that people face, so take the airlines, they're price discriminating, but they have the problem of trying to figure out who are, they know there are some not sensitive to price customers, but they don't know who they are just from calling up. They know that they're business people, but they if you call and you're a business person and you use a lot of hey, dude, you know, and you try to sound like a student and dress like a student uh, so that you would get a lower price. They have to design the product to force you to stay a Saturday, to force you to have a long, um, buy it well in advance. All of those are just things that they're using to try to get you to separate yourself, yourselves into the types of customers you are. People who supply weddings don't have to do that because they know wedding customers are less price sensitive and they know you're getting married. Hence the guy with the, with the chicken dinners. For me, my goal, as I said to my wife, I said, my goal on the food is I don't want anyone to remember the food at our wedding in any way. Not good <laughs> and not bad. 
Because if they remembered, I was like, that was the best food I ever had at a wedding. You spent way too much. Way too much. And if they remembered, it was like, that was horrible. I didn't want that. But just some middle ground would be totally fine. Okay. So so I'm not going to get Boston Market to cater the wedding. But, you know, as long as it was of acceptable quality. But as soon as the guy heard that it was for a wedding... He was like, you just solved my problem because you just <laughs> told me that you are not price sensitive. So price is higher. Okay. So Austin, one last question. Two of your students, they're PhD, and this is hypothetical. Two of your students, oh. some, yeah, I was like, who? Um, no, these are just hypothetical students, economics, PhDs, and they go to you and they are saying that we want to avoid all these traps. We want to have the most price efficient wedding. How do you do it? Like, let's make this actionable. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, do you tell them not to get married? I was no, like, no, no, no. No, it's a great thing. Ending this on a positive note. <laughs> um, okay, so how you do it, look, the, the secrets of price discrimination to the merchant are they have more information than you have, they know how price sensitive you are, and they're trying to prevent you from doing uh, resale and prevent. Uh, the cross shopping. So you try to beat them on every, on every measure. One, you leave them like scratching their head. Wait, are these people who want a fancy wedding or not? You know, so, so you drop things. You're like, yes, we want that. And, and you know, the, the groom to be says, uh, we want, we want fine China. And then in their mind, they're like, ah, so this is going to be expensive wedding. But then you plan it and you say like, do you think we should? Um, do you think we should have uh, free gum as the uh, as the as the departure present? You know, at the wedding. And so the person's like, "Wait, what?" You know. And so one of you is wearing something that's like ripped and really cheap. Pull up in a car that's dented. You know. <laughs> oh so they don't know what to make of you. Okay. Uh, are you a person who's what they want? If they conclude you're a person who wants only the finest then you're going to be Mr. Markup or Miss Markup to them. They're going to jack up the price of everything. So you want them to think you don't have as much money um, as as they originally thought. Okay. Two, shop around as much as you can. Every additional bid you get is going to just make you that much more informed and that much better able to play off against them. Okay. Ah, now wait a second. You know, you're going to charge me... A hundred dollars a person for the food, but I can get the same thing from these other guys for seventy-five. You know, you force them to compete okay. because competition destroys their ability to price discriminate. And um, if you can, you find some uh, some opportunity for resale. You know, you you got uh, you got leftover wine bottles or something. You, your oh. friends getting married, you hand them the wine. Here, That's sneak terrible. this in. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, so I think basically the theory says you just, you got to try to, and, and, and I guess it also says if you can help it. Normally the economists take your demand as given. They have no input on how bad you want something. Okay. Um, they then just go from, given that here's how bad you want it, here's how to try to get more competition to make the market blower. As your friend, I would tell you, Try to not have anything you want so bad that you're like, I will pay any price to make sure that we have a band that does blah. <laughs> I will make sure we must have orchids. 
if it's not orchids, you know, I'd rather get married next year. Anything that you really <laughs> care about, these guys are excellent at figuring that out and charging you for it. So, so reveal nothing. Got it. <laughs> Talk only to your spouse. Don't ever identify anything in front of the merchants. Oh, Thanks man. for the tips, Austin. Uh, I got to say, I shopped around, I think, uh, a fair amount, but I'm not sure that I went sort of full incognito with the with the half rags, half riches uh, perspective <laughs> like you brought up there. Um, I, I, guess, I guess the moral of the story is that, you know, weddings, uh, even though they're a big business and they're all over the place and they happen all the time, they sort of defy the rules that we all learned uh, on the first day of, of econ class, which is that people tend to make rational decisions. The, uh, the cost-benefit analysis uh, gets, <laughs> gets skewed uh, quite a bit when it comes to uh, these hopefully once-in-a-lifetime events. I guess love truly makes people irrational. Indeed. Oh, well. Well, Austin, thank you so much for joining us and giving us some tips on how to have a cost-efficient wedding. I really appreciate it. Um, and Brian, thank you as well for kind of giving us some of your experiences and joining us here in the studio. Thank yeah, you. good luck, Brian. <laughs> it's a great future ahead of you. <laughs> Appreciate it, Austin. Well, Benchmark will be back next week. But until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, iTunes, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. And uh, let us know what you think of the show. You can uh, talk to us and follow us on Twitter at Beach Pata and by Kate Smith. And you have to follow Austin as well. His Twitter uh, his Twitter account is great. Check him out at, at Austin underscore Coolsby. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.